0: Come on.
1: they're right there let's go move, move 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 this episode of choices not chances podcast
2: is sponsored by louisiana gun shop located on highway 90 west in broussard louisiana just south of lafayette For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast episode by the guest are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the hosts or partners.
0: This is Choices, Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette. Sitting next to me is Ryan Rogers. Ryan all right guys thanks for coming back and just like always if you take something out of the show something that resonates within you or something that you think needs shared to the greater community push it out and don't be selfish with the information today i have one of my buddies coming on somebody that i met a couple years ago through a golf organization uh, his name is jared ziegler goes by z uh, he's a graduate in psychology and business leadership and transformative leadership um, did six years active duty with the United States Marine Corps special operations theater with result, uh, recon assault force team. He was an infantry guy with scout sniper platoon and, uh, combat wounded in Afghanistan, medically retired in 2016, and then started to get into, um, some schooling and, um, and a lot of other things that we're going to kind of touch the wave tops at least of today. And, uh, so we're going to get after it straight now, Jared, thanks for coming out, man. Z appreciate it. We've, we've been kind of talking about it for, several quarters I think about when we could line it up when you'd be in the country when you're not gonna be in the country kind of thing and uh so we finally you know made the time and I appreciate you coming out man me, right. yeah man so let's um we we'll start at the beginning uh, but I want to get to this uh you know the meat and potatoes of of uh you know plant-based therapeutics and you know kind of what you're doing now but um where did it start where, where you come from and family dynamics things of that nature
2: okay um from raleigh north carolina originally so grew up there good family grew up on a farm my parents are still together uh pretty much lived there my whole life mm-hmm. yeah went
0: to mm-hmm. school there uh siblings
2: uh one sister jesse she's a molecular biologist and she actually just moved back from chicago and lives down here okay yeah she's okay. five years older older okay yeah, she used to beat the shit of me as a kid but now we're best friends <laughs>
0: yeah, well that's the way it generally goes right Oh yeah I had two younger yeah. and one older where there was a bit of that going up and down the chain there right uh, but yeah we're all tight now too um that's dope and so both parents in the house would you guys have religion in the household growing up we did yeah. uh
2: my parents are Christian based uh so I grew up I ride my four-wheeler to a little church down the street so uh Lizard Lick Youngsville area North Carolina okay. kind of a small country town um did not miss church on sunday right but um my dad would let me sneak out and play paintball every now and then which is cool you know? yeah yeah um but for the most part i would take my four-wheeler i'd ride to my little church beulah baptist which was um looking back on it i tried to go back actually one easter i think it was five six years ago mm-hmm. and uh i took my kid jackson he's seven now i'll be eight in november but he was i think one or two and we went <laughs> uh i didn't remember how intense it was it was i think we were about a five cents short of a snake rattle um you <laughs> had, had some speaking in tongues and <clears throat> oh, some we some hollering it was like an easter ceremony we we're thinking it's gonna be kind of casual when we go in and like the pastor's like
1: you a bird in hell and my kid oh, like,
2: god. <laughs> and jackson started crying oh and, no and, and, <laughs> he was like i was like oh god so we like tried to sneak out and then everything out. got quiet because you know we're leaving and uh yeah but anyways they um my parents are very spiritual um they insisted that i go to church and mm. then they kind of I guess gravitated away from it, and they're more than a uh, focused Bible study group, and they're firm believers in God, like myself as well, mm. um, but not necessarily by the books religious. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, by whose book, right? So yeah, yeah. Like I have, I'm very faith based myself, and like I struggled with that in and out of combat, and trying to make sense of things, and uh, and whatever. But I've come to, you know, in the Bible it says anywhere where one or more gathers, you know, to talk the word of god that's church you know that's that's what you need that's that communion that's that um it's it's, you don't have to be a pillar in the church to be religious and it it still count you know what i mean and like growing up i didn't realize that either and uh but yeah yeah crazy I, i think that's great so what do we uh you play sports growing up
2: absolutely what'd you play uh mostly ice hockey i started playing when i was four years old um I was always a little bit different i grew up in the dirty south so everyone played baseball and football mm-hmm. that was it my mom mm-hmm. was very persistent on me being different she would put me through uh, make sure i didn't just talk hominy hominy and she never wanted me to settle for anything not talking trash i'm just saying i was always a little bit different so
1: mm-hmm.
2: went to a uh, ice caps game at dorton arena in raleigh and we were both hooked and so she got me skate she got me hooked up with the junior ice caps learned how to play when i was four she started playing with me and uh, ended up playing 23 years. And wow! She went as well and actually uh, qualified for the women's Olympic team and started women's hockey in North Carolina. Who's uh, this? Julia Ziegler. Okay. Yeah, she worked for the Canes, so we were on the you know on the ice in 06 uh, when they won the cup, and uh, hockey was just our life. I That's mean, dope. My mom's a badass, man.
0: Look, man, I I love hockey. I love watching it. I like the idea of it. I like the hitting. You know, the I like a lot of it. Never got to play it. Sure. You know what I mean? Never played it. I've ice skated before. I don't know if I'd be very graceful if I was playing on ice skates. I'd hold your hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I'd need it. <laughs> I think I'd need it. But no, it, it, I went to one, I went to a Blue Jackets game. Dope. Uh, my senior year in high school, went out and that was like, uh, I never watched hockey before that. Didn't watch it, didn't really know about it. Went to a Blue Jackets game and it just, like changed everything. Like the, the environment, the arena, you know, the fans. It's different it's different oh, yeah. so it's definitely cool um another guy I served with is super super into um hockey and he was in marja with us denny durr shout out him and his kids they're all about it yeah. you know i'll follow them on the social medias they're all on a little travel ice hockey teams but they're good you know yeah. little eight nine ten year olds just getting after it so that
2: was definitely a good life i mean i cool. loved i mean i i was constantly traveling my parents would um Because, I mean, Raleigh back in, I mean, I was born in 86. And when I was like in elementary school, middle school, there was no ice in in Raleigh. I mean, Dorton Arena ended up shutting down after the ice caps left to ECHL. And Mm -hmm. so my parents would drive me all over the country. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. We played in Canada. We played in Europe, everywhere. Um, So I played travel, 3A. Uh, It was incredible. And the fact that they put so much of their time into getting me there, uh, I always appreciate that.
0: Yeah. That's dope. You know, especially, you know, I find myself in the same boat and I try to do, we've had our girls in, you know, the competitive cheerleading world. I don't know how much you know about that, but it's a little bit wild and ridiculous uh, as far as like what everything costs and how much you travel and the stay to play kind of situations where they extort more money out of you. But I love giving that opportunity to them if I can, like as a parent, you should try to do that. And I got that from my parents. My dad coached all of our teams you know, all the way up kind of thing. But the respect I have for what they did now is more because I know how hard it is. Like, I got three of them in different teams. So, you know, she's at one game, I'm at another game. Somebody took the baby to another game, you know, and we're always in, you know, we're heavily involved in the coaching aspect of it and, 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 and the team building aspect of it. And I talk about that a lot on the show because I think that's a lot of where, um, you know, young, People find themselves for the first time and they lead for the first time, really, and they follow somebody leading them for the first time. And then you look at like almost everybody that I talk to on the show has a coach in their past that like monumentally impacted their life, yeah. where they talk about it 30 years later. And that's huge, you know, because a lot of kids don't come from that, you know, that environment at home that is loving, caring, nurturing giving you everything they can give you. A lot of kids just don't have that. Mm-hmm. And so then they find that role model and a coach a lot of times that really imprints on them. So coaching's huge. Shout out to all the coaches out there. Absolutely. So um, high school, you're playing hockey. You said 23 years. Do so you still play hockey? I mean, oh, you played hockey after high school. Yeah, yeah a yeah. little
2: bit. But mostly um, I, I was playing in Montreal uh, in a huge tournament and ended up getting really hurt and oh. had to come back. So that would have been – I was seated to go to Brooks in Minnesota for prep school. And then when I got hit, um, had to come back and that's when I got my, I guess my fetish with Duke. And so I went back to the neurology program and they were like, yeah, never going to play contact again. So from that point on, I didn't play competitively. I just did it recreational. Mm -hmm. That's how I got introduced to lacrosse.
0: Okay. And that's kind of like hockey on the ground, isn't it?
2: It's pretty intense. It's like hockey and basketball kind of all mixed in one. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know what it was so i was a sophomore i think uh at southeast raleigh and i was uh my mom was like you're never playing contact sports again you're (laughs) never gonna do it and i so of course you know me being a rebellious you know kid i uh got introduced to my best friend in high school cj Dunshee, and he was like hey man you ever heard of lacrosse and i was like what is that and he handed me a stick and then instantly it just i picked it up and ended up making varsity that year and the rest of the time that's a contact
0: sport though i know she just didn't realize that well or?
2: I may have sugarcoated it
0: Yeah, um, they don't really hit like here
2: oh they we I mean at Southeast we recruited all of the football team <laughs> so the football team was our D polls and those guys didn't know the difference so when they hit they hit it, it was a hit yeah, yeah yeah and so um they were kind to me for the most part but a lot of those guys went on to play D1 as well and uh I just I just focused on my speed so mm-hmm. my speed kept me you know, nimble kept me around. I took a few good pops when mm-hmm. I was there, but for the most part, lacrosse is what got me into college. And then, where'd up. you go to college at? Uh, well, first started at Guilford, and then I got recruited to Duke University, and that would have been 0607 And I was playing red shirt up there when the lacrosse scandal went down with Colin Faraday. And, um, you don't the sex scandal?
0: No, no. Oh, it was like you not red in.
1: Sorry.
2: It's not worth going into details, but, uh, Kind of like big party prostitutes were called um turned into something that it wasn't and then you know the attorney and the prostitute are now actually in jail because of you know false testimonies they ruined uh everything so my chance to go to duke was kind of shot mm. and so from there i actually got a really cool opportunity to play professionally overseas so okay i moved to the czech republic um ended up going over there for almost a year playing and that was just Sick.
0: Yeah, get into that. It was cool, man. Yeah, like, how do you do you get recruited? Somebody um, make you a phone call? Like, what happened?
2: Yeah, one of my mom's really good friends. Uh, she knew the guy that ran the Czech team, Czech National. Um, they were like, "Hey, do you want to come over to the Czech Republic and play?" I was like, "I don't speak the language. I'm 21. Screw it." You know, so I, <laughs>
0: <laughs> full I, send. Yeah, full send. Yeah. I,
2: I've always been kind of just like spontaneous, and so I went over there, and there was one guy on the team, Petr Beck. He spoke fluent you know, English, and I kind of connected with him and then hooking up with a study abroad program and used a visa to pay for me as a student visa to get over there temporarily. And um, so I used a student visa and I would pretty much just blow off school and just played, <laughs> traveled with LCC Radisson, and we ended up winning the cup uh, wow. against Germany. Yeah, I got like videos. It's cool. It was like on ESP in Europe and it was all in Czech and it was it was <laughs> wild, else? man. So it was um it was a cool learning experience. I mean, I I got a chance to travel all over and see everything and uh
0: What's the nightlife like out in Czech? oh the uh, public there. Is it weird?
2: I lived in Praha Deva, which is Winston Slav Square just north at a flat up there, not far from the uh Pilsner Raquel factory. And so my first couple nights when I got there. Um, I was dating a, uh, I was dating a hockey player from Cornell and, you know, I couldn't get up with her. And so I said, screw it. Let's go out. What's the best thing that I can do? So fast forward to, uh, 2 AM in the morning, I woke up on the end of a crane, um, like (laughs) way up there and I'd been drinking, uh, absinthe. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. it's great. Let's do like a potent, like psychedelical drink and climb a hundred foot crane awesome marine
0: coming out in you
2: yeah i mean i think it's a precipice to where i joined Yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah i woke up on a crane that wasn't the first time then i also woke up in the middle of a drawbridge over traffic in budapest um after going to the royal baths that was another alcohol induced um life choice
0: um, were we, what were you doing
2: there? Uh, just I don't know, man. We went to the royal baths. What is it? Uh, the royal baths in Budapest are like just they're hot springs. Okay, and okay, everyone's a different culture, so like a lot of naked large men, um, and women, and other things. Uh, it's just a different culture. I remember the <laughs> wait, is this a childhood podcast? No, nope. uh, okay, cool. That's the first time I got hit exactly. in, the, in the face with a dick. Oh, all right, yeah, because I was in the locker rooms changing, so I'm like minding my own business. And there's this little like sheath here, and then you know your 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 um, peripherals, and like you have that you can be standing and it's with a dark room, your eyes are closed, but you can feel other people around you. Mm-hmm. Well, I had that presence. I wasn't paying attention, and the next thing I know, this huge oof is in It's god, and god, man! Just looks straight Italiano, big <laughs> belly. He just turns around, and dick is just like oh my, my god! Face. And I just I was so taken back. <laughs> I was just like, did that? no didn't even do anything <laughs> so like i just slowly turned around i looked up at him he's like Giorgio.
0: what's that
2: don't worry about it i guess no problem
0: oh god yeah
2: and i was like mm, yeah just walked away from that one kind of buried it on down in there never talked to push it, it down again. there with everything else yeah, from no. my childhood <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Trauma. But you just said though when you introduced that you said it was the first time you got hit in the face with a dick
2: yeah well, i was in the marine corps
0: yeah yeah that's in. okay gotcha yeah Yep, that comes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. Yeah. No, but um the rest was the rest was cool. Um that was my first um actual like spiritual, I guess, thing that happened to me, which kind of led to what I do now. Um I remember I went to Auschwitz and I was in um Krakow. So cool story even going in. Uh like I just had this whim. It was like a like a Tuesday and we didn't have practice. I didn't have a game until the following weekend. And I was like, Hey, let's catch a train. So when you go to Europe, I mean, you can ride a train all over and it's relatively cheap. Mm. So I took a train into Krakow. It was the last one in. And then I got to the train station and it was completely dark. I mean, there was nobody there and it was snowing, just cold as hell. And, uh, I got to the train station. And I was like, shit, I don't know where to go. I don't speak Polish. Like, what do I, what's going on? So I start collecting cardboard boxes and I'm just like chilling in the, in the uh in the terminal you're by yourself I am by myself sweet yeah and all I had was like a little pack and my clothes and so I laid down I was making this like cardboard box thing laid down and then any of y'all ever seen the movie up yeah you know little guy with the glasses yeah well all of a sudden I hear like like the like pegging and I'm like what's going on and I get hit in the side and this little old man is like hitting me with a cane and he's like motioning me to come with him and I was like well I'm freezing my ass off. I can either become a skin lamp or he's going to help me out. Like, yeah. 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 I don't know, so. <laughs> I'll be
0: warm either way. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So I followed him in and then he, you know, it took forever to get to this little flat down in the center of uh, Krakow. And I go up the stairs and I get to this flat and there's like a couple beers and some like European equivalent of ramen noodles. And his wife was there and they just made me food and gave me beer and kept me warm and let me stay in their son's place. Um, him and like, clothing from like i guess it was like the big war you know he uh like all his clothes are still there they offered me like some things to wear and i was just like wow this is cool as hell Mm. and i tried to pay him um and check crowns like when i left in the morning they said you know don't worry about it and there was just i wish i knew who they were Mm. were and so made my way to um to like you know the first auschwitz got there with a english tour group and i kind of like snuck in Went in with them, and then there was just like really fat, like short British kid. And so we walked into the main part where they have that statue like hanging up, and it's pretty, like, pretty morbid in there. And the kid, like, mm. I remember him looking over and like grabs his dad, and he's like, Father, I'm starving. Oh, <laughs> and everyone freaks out. So I was like, That's my cue. I dipped <laughs> out. And ended up getting locked in Auschwitz, spent the whole day there, and the lights were turned off, and then I came out of cell block eighteen, which is where they had people what standing. The fuck. People were standing like, you know, shoulder to shoulder, and they keep them in there for months, man, until like their knees just shattered. It's crazy shit. And so when I got out, no lights, dead quiet, and then it was snowing like- Was it like closed? Yeah, I guess.
0: You were just in there after hours?
2: Yeah, it's like it's like literally a time warp. Like I went in there, I thought it was like lunch, and I came out and it's dark and oh, like i didn't have a watch i didn't have a phone and i was like oh okay what's going on anyways it starts snowing like crazy i'm right up near the gas chamber and then like i felt this presence of like i was in woodstock like that many people around me but there's no one around mm. i kind of freak out but it's like this calm and my last name is zeigler i'm like shit i'm german i'm gonna get down i'm gonna die <laughs> and, and so i don't know it was like a spiritual thing where i was just like i felt that there's something else there it was like an energy and so ended up like crawling under the constantino wire and walking back to to crack out and uh sleeping in a cardboard box again didn't um, take
0: that flat up you didn't show back up
2: no <laughs> no but it was I, I that's know.
0: amazing <laughs> that they did that though just out of nowhere right just yeah, took you was, in fed you
2: yeah it had, uh, that kind of brought me into this whole like other way of thinking and mm-hmm. the fact that there's something else out there feeling that like spiritual presence wasn't mm-hmm. something I could share with my guys like in the core it's not something that is it's very two-dimensional it's not multi-dimensional and thinking about the things that go on around us it's for another time but yeah yeah yeah.
0: you know i can i've had an experience like that once and it's weird but um i didn't know that the traveling monument or memorial uh for for iraq and afghanistan campaign was even a thing and a lot of people don't but it's this huge like um glass case and it's a you know red white and blue flag made out of every dog tag of the fallen for the last you know for the whole beginning to end nice right and i got names on that list you know i didn't know this thing existed and i was just in quantico for like chance and i was like take my kids and my wife like hey let's go to the marine corps museum let's see you know if, what's in there and it's like you know you've been to the marine corps you know,
1: in yeah. quantico right yeah, I was up there for so me. you know
0: how it goes down to the vault well right at the top of that ramp it's like locked into the ground it's this big flag with all these dog tags on it and it was so weird because like when i walked up to it i felt them like all of them <sighs> Wild, yeah, yeah. So you get it, yeah. Oh yeah, dude. I, I. That's like when you explained that all those people being there, and but it was nobody, and it was like me, her, and the kids, and then like some some like older man walking with his grandson, and he's like just bringing his grant because I was like falling apart completely, you know. Mm. But yeah, that's real, man. And then and then what do you do with that?
2: well yeah, that that's age, the next question especially if you don't have experience with it that age yeah. I, I was I was kind of terrified I mean kind of just like i just in shock like I don't <laughs> how know how do. old were you 21 okay yeah okay but that wasn't the first time it happened it happened another time at Lejeune um after post-combat like uh kind of think about it always it's always intervened with me breaking entering <laughs> um I don't know you know, you've been you've been to Lejeune obviously uh but down at um Paradise Point past the second meth mm-hmm. you go all the way down there's like that little Cove mm-hmm. where there used to be like a fenced in area with these old houses as old generals houses from uh Vietnam okay but it was like fenced in like wire like stay the fuck out mm-hmm. uh, so what do I do like I like to fish so I stick under the wire and I throw my pole under there and I'm like sweet it's never gonna get fished and then when I get in there I go to like cast a line I realize there's nothing but dead jellyfish everywhere I mean far as your eye could see so I wasn't drunk obviously wasn't high I was active duty and uh so all these dead jellyfish are everywhere and then the temperature drops it was the middle of summer and it felt like i was back in like Auschwitz. i mean freezing cold and then i felt like this weird like feeling like something was coming out of the ground like tearing my soul out of my body like ripping me on the ground i ended up like low crawling and crying and snotting like trying to get the hell out of there and like i finally made it on the other side of the fence and like called my mom and she's doing the whole like you know devil get behind him and all this kind of stuff and uh I didn't think anything of it. I just went and just drank profusely after, but it scared the shit out of me. And uh, that was, that's how it all led up. And now I can kind of see things relatively in comparison. So
0: looking back, you mean,
2: yeah, looking back, it's, um, it's something. It's not everyday conversation. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. This is just escalating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you're 21 wandering around Auschwitz by yourself or is it Auschwitz? Yeah, that was an awesome yeah. uh, What's next? Like, do you come home?
2: Oh, I mean, I'd stayed and played, and we uh, we beat Germany. Well, that was
0: why you were over there playing professionally. You just yeah. happened to do that.
2: Yeah, it was just, I mean, every chance I got. Like, I went to Munich for Oktoberfest. I went through, like, um, you know... Went through Berlin and went through like all the Red Square stuff, uh checked that out. Ended up did not get into Russia because these big this guy because this was like AKs or like no like no entry like a it was so I ended up having to like catch a train back, couldn't go with the guys, but pretty much everywhere else, go to Nice. Um I would just take time to go everywhere I could and just explore. hmm That's dope. Yeah. And then came back and then
0: so why did you come back you just done playing or
2: no that's um like I was kind of a medical interest before like I was doing four years and I had maybe a handful of credits left like I finished up some around Lewisburg College Guilford College and then some at NC State and then I decided I was like hey I've always wanted to be in the Marine Corps like ever since I was a little kid I was gonna be a Marine sniper, then I was gonna be a SEAL and be a surgeon with the teams. Boom. And that was it, man. Like everyone's like, Well what else did you want to do? Like do you wanna be a firefighter? I was like, fuck no, I'm gonna be a SEAL. <laughs> like, rah. And uh so I got anxious and I was like, hey, let's go ahead and join up and uh that's what I did. I joined right after I got back from maybe one semester after and then I was gonna finish up my degree, my bachelor's and I was like Nah, man, screw it, like, going in. yeah. And so I told the recruiters, they're like, you have, like, you know, Division One, and you're an athlete, and you're going to go in enlisted? They're like, Psyche Bell. And <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, yeah, man. He's not thinking clearly. I want to be a Mustang. I want to lead Marines in combat, like, go through the worst of the worst, and then, you know, prepare me to be a better team guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so.
0: Okay, so let's get after that. How's your career pan out?
2: Uh, it didn't.
0: Now, did you go to Paris Island for boot camp?
2: I did, yeah. 1038 Alpha Company. Wow, I remember that shit. Oh, yeah, I remember. Brain's better than
0: mine. (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: the first time that I remember that I hated NASCAR. Um, What? Staff Sergeant Jared man. God bless him. He was the only combat guy that was in my platoon. Um, But, yeah, Paris Island was fantastic. I was so excited. Um, I loved the, like, you know, head between your legs and the bus was all crazy. And then I was kind of disappointed the first week when you were just, like, standby to standby before you meet your DIs. And uh, and so they made me a. Um, I was just a regular guy, I, like listen to my granddad and my uncle. They're like, just don't stand out. Just Be hang a great on. guy. Like, just just hang out. And I was like, all right. So I remember doing that. And then uh, forget what it was. You know the rubber pits. Mm-hmm. All right, we had this one guy. I remember like distinctly the first time I saw Davis. Like we were in the line for the first PFT, and I remember seeing these these things, these arms, like bigger around as my torso, I jump up on the bar, and the bar kind of like whoops a little bit. And he's just like, but he's like, rawr, rawr, just like screaming, busting out, like pull ups, and I was like, God, who the hell is that? We're like straight the guy from Green Mile, you know, like take <laughs> my hand, boss, so he was like that, right? <laughs> so he's like six six, like two thirty monster guy, and um, so we go to McMap, and I remember drill sergeants have us standing there, and they're like, All right, and he's another recruit. Here. Yeah, he's a recruit. Oh good. He's a yeah, it's an animal. That's bad. And they're like pair up and everyone from Davis it's hysterical It's like cockroaches <laughs> in the light. They just dissipate, right? And so here's me like 5'10 at the time, cursing marine corps now I'm 5'8. Um so I'm standing there and I'm looking up at this guy and I'm just like he's like you and I was just like fuck it. Let's do it. Yeah. And so the rubber pits, he uh he threw me like a rag doll across the pits, left and right, left and right but I just did not give up. And mm-hmm. so finally I was like, I'm gonna kill this bitch. <laughs> and so I, I wiggled up, I got on his back and I put him in like a freaking headlock and I had him like locked in. I'm taking him down he like lands on me and he's rolling over and he's hit me in the face. I'm bleeding everywhere, but I never let go. <laughs> and I was choking him out and I was like, I'm going to kill this guy. And I went into just like murder mode. Like, go mode. Yeah. And so like, I'm choking this guy out and he starts to like, he tries to tap out and I don't let go. And the drill instructors had to come and like rip me off of the guy peel you off they peeled me off and i was like fucking
1: die davis <laughs> and, then, and,
2: then, and i just i don't know i lost it and then everyone started like you know drill instructors are like all right you're you're the guy now and i was like all right i don't want, want that so eventually i became a squad leader but davis and i became good friends after that
0: that's how and it generally takes place right
2: yeah i mean it's like i tried to murder you now we're friends yep. yeah yeah raw
0: raw yeah and it's like both of you are like mm, don't really want to fight him again if i don't have to no
2: god no he was his arms are like so as an animal, um,
0: yeah,
2: yeah, and then uh you know the sand fleas. Were you parasol? Oh
0: yeah, yeah. So you know September parasol. I'm
2: super slick. I eventually got moved to second squad, squad leader. So like I'm hidden. I'm tucked away. You know, kill hat's running around. That's what I was, right? Yep. And so I remember we lost one kill hat because he hated this one kid. He locked him in a footlocker and kicked him down all three flights to the ladder wall. Are you shitting uh, me? No, dead serious. His name was Hunt, Sergeant Hunt at the time.
0: He went away after that. He did. Yeah. So yeah. did the kid. Good. Go figure well
2: wow. um but i remember like we got this new drill instructor replaced so i remember i'm standing there and so like you know i'm like kind of like using my peripherals i'm hanging out i got sand fleas like every,
0: oh, dude, all yeah. my eyes
2: and my ears and so i just start sliding my hand up i'm all super slick man you know I'm slow just, like, super slick and i'm just doing this and then i feel like campaign cover just <laughs> back <laughs> my head's like yo fucking right bitch and like, <laughs> and he's like upstairs so long story short i get my scotch brush bristles up in the plank position and he asked me he's like hey motherfucker you like NASCAR and I was like this recruit did not like NASCAR he's like oh yeah you're not gonna like it now motherfucker let's go and so it was like in the push-up position the entire squad oh yeah and so by the time everybody got back it was just a sawdust like my brush was at a 45 degree (laughs) on each side My hands were bloody, I was snotty, my back was in a snap, and I was like, I didn't cry, but I was like, it was was a hot mess, man. Um, So every time I hear NASCAR, I'm like, like, ow, ow, ow.
0: (laughs) Trauma response, man. Like Tourette's that come out from it, nah, not NASCAR. Yeah, exactly. When you said that, I'm like, what? Yeah, now I get it. We had to do the, uh, they made us take like our shower towels, I guess, once in a while, and they'd like pour shit all over the floor and then you would just go until it was dry mm-hmm. but you had soaking wet towels after the first part of it so it was like hours yeah. of bear crawling Isn't that great though? Miss it? oh no man i mean you know boot camp is like a flash for me though there wasn't big things that stuck like i seen a man piss himself for the first time that was special um because he couldn't do the pull-ups that you had to do to go piss because <laughs> if you couldn't do 10 pull-ups you couldn't go use the head
2: did they make you plank in the squat in the uh showers you yeah, know like those two yeah, they never on the made side. Me do that. you oh. know i did
0: i had pretty good drill instructors i think i had a two oh threes um that really and, and you know that was a special time for threes oh four when i went to boot camp like it was war you know what i mean and uh i just didn't have to me problems. like my kill hat was oh three uh and he was a dm and maybe the push or something so he's a little bit fucking unchained shout out Aranda, staff sergeant type at the time oh, yeah. but um yeah he made me like crawl through an ant pile that's probably the worst thing that happened to me i had like he made me low crawl through an ant pile and i got fucked up by the you know fire ants but they were pretty respectful like they knew that we were going to war at least the o3s and like the o3 drill instructors would talk to the o3s at night that were contracted you know and uh so it was um i just i think i got lucky they they mess us up don't get me wrong but i didn't have any sadistic stories like a lot of guys have like these you know i wasn't like that it was all training all good you know pretty good training we lost a kid in the pool um like he died oh sure and then the crucible we had a kid that had pneumonia didn't know it didn't wake up kind of thing um right around that time too so that was that was weird but my boot camp was pretty smooth nice i was a squad leader from the beginning to the end uh I think I got, um, I was a distinguished graduate, you know, it's just, I, my dad made it seem so much worse to me and like friends of my dad made it seem so much worse to me trying to talk me out of it Yeah. that I just, I it was going to be so bad. And then I got there and it was like, finally, my body got into a routine, like chow to chow, you know, mm-hmm. I knew when it was time to eat. I knew when it was time to sleep, knew when it was time to wake up. And once I entered that, it was kind of like a flow state, just moved through it till the end. Yeah. A lot of guys don't have that experience, if, but that was the experience for me.
2: Nice.
0: But who's your first unit? I um, You go to SOI, I assume, right out of yeah. uh, right out of there. You're at ITB over here?
2: Uh, yeah, I was a Geiger Tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that was a good times. So, yeah. um, I was immediately named guide in that one, got honor grad. I mean, of, that
0: generally happens with an older, educated, versed person when they come in right yeah i guess as long as they don't fuck it up cuz like i remember our like our leadership was also the older you know more mature not 18 mm-hmm. and you're what 21 22 yeah i was like 23 20, 22 i guess okay yeah. yeah so yeah that makes sense it's just right it's the right it's the right way you have more life experience yeah. uh, and that probably helps out a lot of those younger guys but
2: yeah it did it um yeah i met i had a, you know had some good friends there mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. i enjoyed it man like i, I was straight stud i mean i loved pt yeah yeah it's fantastic well i
0: mean you're coming off of being a professional athlete you're in that shape you know that's great that's great
2: love my love my leadership and actually like our senior actually at uh at uh that company i think he was actually killed in afghanistan not long after we graduated but um that was a blur i don't really remember a whole lot from it we um i remember i had to leave early so they were like i was a recon contract initially and they were like hey you know it's second recon bravo company like everyone else is going to okinawa but we need like two or three guys to go to lejeune right now who's in and i was like bypass like five years of schoolhouse or get a chance to go to the stand right away so mm-hmm. i said hell yeah so mm-hmm. they um like two weeks before graduation when i was supposed to walk they were like get on the bus and i got on the bus and they took me and like two others to lejeune showed up at uh 2-2 and <laughs> ironically knew the battalion commander um that was my first fuck up because calling him john like a dumbass oh my god he's yeah. lieutenant colonel you know and like yeah i got the shit kicked out of me for that one but stayed the night got hazed and then next morning we were on a bus <sighs> going to cax and oh you uh, dropped
0: in as like a hot fill oh yeah. yeah yeah
2: yeah so i was still in my chucks when i you know went to sleep that night woke up and i was still in chucks going to the airport to go to 29 stomps yeah so that was dope and then uh I guess flash forward, um, that's where I, you know, got selected. Uh, that was a really cool experience for me.
0: Now did you uh, deploy with them right there after that? Yeah. And where you guys go?
2: Uh, we're in the Battle of Garmshire. So we're at the Zero Northing, Packy Border, like uh, Southern Hellman. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hot. What year? Uh two nine, Nine, ten nine, yeah, nine, nine
1: ten. Mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: Now talk about that. I didn't get a chance to get into Garmshire, but I've heard I've heard that it was uh, exciting. Yeah, well, I had a my, one of my company commanders, when I was in ITB as an instructor, uh, had some time over there, and um, he would talk about, like, the rat lines and the reinforcement lines that they would hit that mm-hmm. were pretty intense, and, uh, you know, talk, get into that, how'd that deployment start? Pretty good. I mean, you helo in, are you trucking in, are you walking in? Where you... Oh, we're helo, for yeah. sure. Yeah.
2: yeah, it was like, we took a couple 53 rods, and it was, you yeah, know, it was a long, long trip. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah it was just hot you know they dropped us off and we never really even like landed we just kind of like out the hoop you know back of the hatch we're out and then we're landing in suction mud in the middle of the night trying to get our all of our stuff kicked in and then uh some of it got left out there we're you know weasel walking for the first two or three months in this little tiny compound they're like popping shots over the wall Mm -hmm. yeah it's just i don't know good times yeah i was advon too so yeah it was both uh, ways or just one uh, both ways. Oh, well, Second good. time, I definitely yeah had to stick after, but I don't know. There's not really much of the, I mean, it's basic kinetic deployment. You yeah, know? like yeah. I was a spent time as a DM over there, and it was uh, I carried the Mark 12. It was fantastic. Yeah, loved a great it. Great gun. Yeah, and um, yeah, just mostly. Um, I think one of the big ones that stood out for me, like one of the major traumatic experiences, were like mangled children Mm. like that one i definitely was there from our
0: from our stuff
2: uh well it was kind of fucked up the mo said something but we had a nasty tick it's a long story man i'm not gonna go too in depth with it just because it's just to me irrelevant now but um yeah had a moment of weakness if you will like had a disagreement with because i was with reconnaissance assault force it's a special team that they put together that was pretty much like they drop us in we fuck shit up
1: Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. it
2: Mm-hmm. um had a major disagreement with my team leader ended up leaving that unit like three quarters of the way through the pump because it was just it got ugly um and that's when i went to a line unit and spent the rest of my time and just like went there and had some good just amazing times yeah like, yeah my brothers yeah yeah, man. yeah the kids were
0: it's just that you went to tutu yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah it was sick man like um yeah i spent the rest of my time there so we ended up it was like a double campaign over there and then yeah and that's when because i was exposed to quite a few blasts and um took some pretty nasty falls and had some pretty serious post-traumatic stress just from uh you know because being medical and then dealing with triaging of like kids and uh-huh, uh-huh. medical officer was end up saying like hey like they were riddled with match grade rounds like they were fucked up and they were like we well, are the only one that shoots match grade rounds on the a.o right and then yeah it was it was gnarly um yeah, I had some I had some feelings about that pump. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was gnarly, but came back and didn't really deal with my stuff. Just kind of dove right in and um, tried to rough it out. Tried to get in all these different indocs for MARSOC, and then that's when things started going downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, TBI's kind of started kicking in. Insomnia started crazy, like mood fluctuations. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, yeah, the whole the whole career went kind of kind of down. Mm-hmm. After that, so I was in limbo, and then end up getting hurt at an end doc for for third group, and I like white it out during a hump. Didn't know what was happening, so I went and they ran me through the TBI clinic. They're like, "Oh, you got all these like massive like traumas in your head. Like, what the hell is this about? Like, E3s, E4s, E5s. You lie on PDHAs if you want to go soft, right? Yep. You just don't do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they had this whole like congressional thing that went through. They were going to kick me out for lying on a PDHA. During the Obama administration, they were trying to, like, cut guys. Yeah. Yeah, so I had to fight that, and then they ended up, like, throwing me into Wounded Warrior Battalion East, and I was just so pissed off.
0: And as an instructor?
2: No, as a patient. Oh, I'm like, sorry. Yeah, you my said brain...
0: Wounded Warrior Battalion East. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah so my, my head was jacked up, and they ran me through all these evals, and they like, are like, you're definitely not fit.
0: So did you go through the 16-week TBI course under Captain Johnson over there? Yeah, I loved Doc Johnson. As did I. Yep, yeah, he was my brain doctor. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah yeah he uh it's necessary and it's really shitty as a warfighter when you have your heart set on war fighting and it's like your whole purpose mm-hmm. and then somebody says you can't do it anymore that's a yeah. big problem for a lot of guys that was a big problem for me still a big problem you know i deal with it but big problem initially and then you got to reinvigorate purpose somehow yeah higher than definitely. yourself which is hard to find outside of not hard to find but it can be hard to find if you're stuck thinking that's the only place you can get it you know what i mean mm-hmm. So,
2: yeah, I was definitely devastated. Yeah. So, especially with, uh I talked to some of the Navy recruiters and I was like, so what now? I mean, I I tried everything. I was like, maybe can I get back in? Like, and they were just in the process of trying to cut and cut and cut. And, cut. and like, I was pissed, Ryan. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck, man? What about the teams? Like, what about becoming a surgeon? Like, I had it all planned out ever since I was knee high to a grasshopper. Right. And so, when I, like, I spent Wounded War time I'd go to my appointments, tried to stay locked on.
0: What years were you there?
2: 2000, I think it was 15, you remember, you 16. You would have got there
0: right after left. I, I think I I retired last day in 14 okay. out of, out of that East over here.
2: Yeah, it was, uh, it was bad. And then ended up having, uh, I was married at the time. My kid was like not even a year old and the, uh, I was like, what, what next? Mm-hmm. So that's where I found myself in this limbo state and, uh, marriage wasn't good. Um, I would started drinking heavily. And not dealing with my emotional issues sure. <clears throat> when I got out, I uh, went to work in a mulch yard, running heavy equipment. Got nothing against it, but I just was floating. I wasn't know what,
0: wasn't your passionate drive for that? Yeah, no, nah, not
2: really. And yeah. uh, so after I floated, I did that for a year or two, and then I decided to make the uh, decision to do. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm fat. I'm unhappy. Uh, like I just, I was taking God. I was on so many medications, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the VA, and I was just. I told my wife at the time. I was like, Hey, I, I got to get the fuck out of here. I got, I got to get some help. So I called my combat casualty nurse, Greta Ellison. That's a shout out. She's an angel. Shout um, out. So she got me hooked up to go to a veterans retreat. Right? No. Hmm? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's fuck. I went down to Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, no offense to anybody from there, but I just was—it's no, um, even Lafayette. Yeah. <laughs> lived in Lafayette. You lived in Lafayette. Yes, I was—I I was a Vermillionaire. Okay. Yeah, you get that.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I went down to Vermilion Hospital. And it's like a level four, padded walls. Okay. Yeah, man. Um, Got to figure it out. I was expecting a, uh, a veterans retreat, like outdoors, other combat guys. Not like, so much. Yeah, no no I got met by these two big dudes one in particular his name is Big Big Shug he was the size of a sprinter van uh <laughs> and like anytime that something profound came up he's like that's church <laughs> yeah I just I'm, and he called chicken yard bird yeah so I love Big Shug that's about factual, right? shout out Big yeah, Shug thank you Big Shug man I, I wonder <laughs> I wonder how he's doing um uh, but anyways um I think a couple Halidol booty booty juice shots later uh like two two and a half months later uh, i you know i resurfaced and uh when i was there i had that executive decision just like okay not fighting it learning who i am getting rid of the anger um and i came back and everything in my house was gone uh wife was gone kids gone like just (laughs) vacant i was like ah Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. so i guess i'm getting divorced. sweet so i sat in the, the the uh driveway and that's when I guess my life started. I could have gone to the ABC store down the street or I decided to go to Lifetime Fitness that was opening up in Raleigh. And I was like, why don't I become a personal trainer? So that's where it started,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Check, check. Now, what's that look like though? What does becoming a personal trainer look like? I mean, this is schooling involved in this. Is this just a shift in your mind that had to happen?
2: Yeah. Uh, I just decided I was like, I'm not going to keep going down this road of drinking. And yeah I was still taking, you know, psychotropic medication at the time, but, um, I got hooked up with NASM went through like a multiple month courses and got certified, uh, CPT, corrective exercise, nutrition, mm-hmm. you know, just the works. So I was like, all right, so mostly for me, how do I get in the best shape of my life and how do I help others? Mm-hmm. So yeah, just got a job and, you know, taught martial arts and trained people trained clients, uh, just kind of floated doing that for a bit until something else came up.
0: What's next?
2: Well, uh, got back in school. Yeah. I like, was doing school.
0: And you only had a couple credits to finish at this point, right? Or you had already finished one degree. Yeah, I finished those. And okay. so I
2: started and I was working in psychology. And so I got hooked up at North Carolina Wesleyan. And okay. And so, yeah, I went through that. Had a couple years under my belt and I was training clients. But something was still off okay if you will like Mm -hmm. I was doing I was dating a girl we were doing CrossFit five days a week and was eating good but I still was retaining like belly fat and I was still mood fluctuations and I'm like well I stopped drinking I was sober for I don't know three three years Mm -hmm. and um the suicidal ideation came out uh out of a vengeance man it just it was so persistent depression was still there I was up and down didn't matter what I did so had a uh, pretty gnarly suicide attempt. And that's when I decided, yeah, uh, I'm not, I got to, I got to titrate, man. Like I'm sober. So is there a place I can go to titrate off of psychotropic medications? SSRIs, SNRIs, stimulants, narcotic sleep aids.
0: And these are all, all being given to you by who? The VA. Mm. Yeah. They're Mm.
2: prescribed and they're like, take it, take it, take Mm. it. It'll Mm. help. And I tried auto network providers, I tried, you know, neuropsych providers. I mean, I was desperate. Mm-hmm. And uh the suicide attempt was pretty gnarly. Still got a little carbon right here in my eye from like a field attempt and uh yeah, so I went out to um talked to my professor at Wesleyan and I was like, "Hey, can I do like a parallel program? Can I go through this place and also learn from the providers because I'm going to be a psychologist and so yeah, I did that. Went to uh you know arizona and mm-hmm. that's how i initially got in there and mm-hmm. i went through the whole program they you know they paid for me to go went through inpatient and stayed for intensive outpatient studied and got hooked up with the program was doing clinical research there and then ended up volunteering at a sober living house out there just so i could stay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and yeah that's where it all started i found got hooked up with dr joe dispenza and was doing like mindfulness getting involved with meditation got rid of psychotropic medications and that was just, that was it. And Huge. Yeah. Because so, you start thinking again. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. almost like the, um, anybody out there that takes these things. I mean, sober, especially, I hope you're sober, because if you're doing them on alcohol, it's just, even worse. Oh, God, man. Way I'm worse for your I'm body. 22 a day. But, um, yeah. you know, the fetishizing about suicide was just like so overwhelming. I couldn't take it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got everything clear and I found meditation and mindfulness exercises and yoga, um, everything just kind of started to clean up. I mean, Mm -hmm. I still had little bumps in the road, Mm -hmm. but there was still one piece kind of missing. So I was working at a training facility out there, training um, at a really nice place called Pulse. I liked it a lot. Ended up meeting. This uh, is in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so ended up staying there for another year. Um, Dated a really amazing girl out there, Tatiana. You you remember her? I talked about her. I think so, yeah. Yeah, she was fantastic. Um, We dated for a long time. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm, Worked at this training facility with her. And um, that allowed me to stay and then just volunteer my time and help out in the psychology kind of field, doing the online, finishing, finishing up, getting the graduate level stuff. Like, yeah, everything felt pretty good, pretty locked on. And um, and that's when I got an opportunity and I got linked up with the teams. And that's where everything kind of just everything made a massive shift. So how's that happen? I don't know. Like, I remember I looked vigorously, even before I looked for the program to get, like, right as I got sober, I heard about this thing called ayahuasca. And I was like, what the hell is this? And they were like, oh, it heals trauma. It's some kind of crazy psychedelic. And I looked for years and years, man. And we have a saying in the plant medicine world that medicine finds you. Mm. Like, you can look for it, but you're not going to find it till it finds you. And my mom was looking, my friends were looking. And I guess somewhere down the monkey trail, someone got a hold of uh, a certain team guy. And I got a call on my phone one day and I thought it was a joke, you know? And, uh, this pretty well-known seal, like he just, he was like, hey man, heard a lot about you, what you're doing, you're trying to work with veterans and you're trying to work in mental health and we'll see if you're interested in doing a journey.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and is, I, is this Marcus's team?
2: Uh, I choose not to say. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got that call and went to this uh, retreat at a location and that's where everything I knew or thought I knew changed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. and why from the experience yeah mm-hmm. can you talk about it sure like the process um the ritual side of it um and then just kind of walk me through your your experience
2: yeah and if i wrote a lot of stuff on i'll show it to you later like I'll yeah wanna, absolutely it's uh so let me see how did it work i uh Kind of ask like, "What I? You have to sign a waiver. Like, you know, do you have any, you know, pre-existing things, some comorbidities, some predispositions? Like, do you are you taking medications? Like, it's very thorough. Like, mm-hmm, you get mm-hmm. panels done um, to make sure you don't have any like counteracting medications. So you take that. Like, you have to be sober. You fast for like a day or so. You eat very clean for two weeks leading up. You fast for a day or two leading up uh, to allow medicine to kind of do its work." Mm-hmm. Um, so when you show up, I remember getting up there and it's just like me and a bunch of other like hardcore, you know, tier 1 operators and and I just felt a little out of my element, kind of imposter syndrome, like who am I? Why do I deserve yeah, to be with these guys? Yeah, yeah. And um ended up they just they took me right in. It was really cool. We went to this like secret hidden ranch and on the west coast. It was beautiful. Um Yeah, it was just kind of like find a journey mat Everyone falls into their place, you know, in sequence and no assigned seats, and we're under this like tent canopy, kind of like yurt thing on like a cliff edge. And mm-hmm. I met, uh, you know, met the shaman and the other guys that ran it, and they kind of just ran us through the process like, this is what's going to happen, this is what we're going to do. And then we go around the circle. And then um, that night, I remember like the first one I talked with the shaman for a bit, and I was like, hey, I've never done psychedelics, never really did drugs, like, I don't know what to do. It, like you just breathe man like it's simple
0: and this is this is it a, is it a drink is it a what yeah, is it um,
2: yeah i mean um ayahuasca is a tea like south american based uh it's like a mixture of like two different vines sometimes three depending on the shaman and the uh, the person who makes the mixture but ayahuasca predates man that's like all the way back to um like really old south american tribe days like mm-hmm, Aztec, mm-hmm. incas like mm-hmm. so initially like what i read about it um is that warriors would go into battle with neighboring tribes and when they returned back to the village, the Shammo to understand and these gods they came back, but if you look back it, you know from our line of sight now it's kind of like it's symptomatic of post-traumatic stress like they'd come back and they would be disassociated they would be like yep, rocking yep. back and forth they would have insomnia they would essentially the shamans were like man they lost their souls
1: mm-hmm. so
2: what they would do is they would go into the jungle and they would take the ayahuasca tea and they would go into the spirit realm find their souls and bring it back to their body
1: mm-hmm.
2: so yeah I, I see that now because i read about it and i was like the fuck is this
0: <laughs> after doing it <laughs> <coughs> that seemed what I saw what it was accurate? about. Accurate?
2: Yeah, it was very accurate.
0: So what is it like? How does it start? How does it come on? How long does it take?
2: Um, Well, the first night I did, you know, white lily, I did some heart openers with like chocolate psilocybin um, to like kind of open me up and get me raw because I mean, they don't, they're not going to soul bomb me with ayahuasca. The now, is night. that
0: what you that's part of the process? For me, it was. Okay.
2: Yeah. Like seasoned plant medicine veterans. They, I mean, they, they go in there with a couple ounces of tea and they do it sometimes multiple nights. Uh, for me, I was a little apprehensive and nervous. Mm -hmm. So let's even take a drink of this. Yeah. I did the heart opener and, um, I remember laying there.
0: I want you to pretend like I have no idea what any of that means.
2: Okay. So white Lily is something that's kind of like, um, like psilocybin magic mushrooms. When you Uh take those, it kind of just, it opens you up Uh like, By heart opener, it allows you to relax and just kind of like feel into medicine Mm -hmm. because sometimes like the heavy, like the Ibogaine's, bogas, Ayahuasca's, like, you know, Toad, 5-MeO DMT's, like some of these are serious. Yeah. And if you don't know what you're doing, you could freak, have a freak out. Like people call it freaking out, but there's no such thing as a bad journey it's just you being like apprehensive to let medicine do its work
0: I've heard that I've and some of the stuff I've looked at yeah
2: yeah it's all about just like letting go and guys like us letting go control is just not something that processes mm-hmm. for me like I wanted to hang on and so when I did the first night it allowed me to just like open up with love and um you know going back to Afghanistan when I was dealing with like screaming kids and they're like you know pulling on my plate carrier and like there's blood everywhere packing sucking chest wounds and packing intestines and they're just like screaming and they're lucid and they're like save me and that's a universal language right Mm -hmm. so what happens exactly what's supposed to happen you know the night starts going the sun's going down i'm looking around everyone has this like gloomy like solace look and everyone's in their own thing respectively and then people start going in differently like it hits you at different times and the guys that did tea the first night one in particular, just this blood curdling, vociferated roar. I mean screams. Like you've heard somebody scream and then you've heard somebody who's in peril. Blood curdling, yeah. Like their life is their intimate demise and in screaming. You know, there's a different level of screaming. So it was that. Like death. And so I'm in this just Constant. Like, yeah, like, like he was he breath, was not go letting go, go. Catch your breath, go again. Catch your breath, go again. It seemed to last for hours, man. Mm-hmm. And um so I'm out here in this like other dimension in a trouble bubble and I'm about to have a fucking meltdown. I'm just like screaming. So I'm like like freaking out on heart medicine. Then, uh, you know, like the the shaman, like he came in and he like had his hand on my chest and he just like slowly like put pressure and he just started like whispering to me. So when you're in, it feels like when you look up at the night sky, like you see the stars, like you can see them, you know, they're there, but you know, you can't get to them. That's kind of like that. So I'm down here in this other dimension I'm looking up and I know my body's up there on a mat in another, in like the actual real world. And so trying to differentiate the, you know, between the two is, is difficult. And I'm like, Mm. Oh fuck, I'm stuck here. And then when he put his hand on my chest, it was almost like the sound of God. Like, yeah, he just like, he was like, it's like, yes, brother, just breathe. it was like, and I was like, Oh God. And like, I started breathing. And then right when I did, it's almost like I like went back into this, like, I don't know, it's like um, you lose sense of time and space, and you're not you. You're not physical. You're not anything. And then it's just a. I just started crying. Like I was crying profusely, and then I put my hand out. And like
0: you were, like you were afraid. No, I was just. It was just all this. Just overwhelmed with emotions.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It just started flowing out of me, and it was uncontrollable. But it wasn't like a shame thing. It mm. was like I accept this. Here I am. And then instead of like being mad this guy was like fucking up my journey with his screaming i just sent out like love just put my arm out closed my eyes and i was like i'm sending this guy love like he's obviously going through it hard and that was my introduction and it was like that lasted for eight ten hours deep into the night
0: oh wow now are and, you exhausted when you come out of this or um, is it just like an easy out once you get through it?
2: it it varies yeah. uh that night i did not purge which is common but i didn't do ayah. so
0: purge being throw up yeah mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> it's wild so the first night was fine next day was spent for uh excuse me <coughs> contemplation uh in preparation for the following night which was tea and so
0: hold on i want to I wanna understand right what was the first night
2: uh white lily heart openers with like psilocybin like kind of like no ayahuasca no
0: okay check okay so the
2: second night is when i did tea okay so i was like feeling kind of good i was like cocky and confident i was like hell yeah man like that was fucking awesome i I could do that again i felt great i felt just vindicated and uh and then when i went into the tea ceremony it's very very spiritual it's like face each direction give respect to you know the earth and the universe and to god and it's important to have like a higher power if you will so Mm -hmm. mine mine is Mm -hmm. god Mm -hmm. um went in with a sense of arrogance and uh I got checked
0: got humbled
2: oh my god yeah
0: now this is the drink the The tea tea and so you drink it how's that come on um speed feeling
2: no uh you drink the tea and it tastes a little bit like uh red man chewing tobacco okay how it smells when it's fresh I like it I mean some other guys are like oh god I can't and then for me I was like that's fucking delicious I could take more you know just nostalgic um so I took the tea and then like 45 50 minutes later like you lay down on your mat you get comfortable and they play this really like euphoric style like music and the guy it's almost like a cosmic dj he knows exactly how to feel the room and the space and it's just wild basically. it's what he does right so yeah. oh god he's 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 a master i would love to give a shout out to him but just in just yeah, yeah. respect i don't but yeah. um he is he's he's fantastic like i named my dog after him um <laughs> he uh he just feels the room out and then i remember like after about 45 50 minutes it was like oh oh god so it's yeah. like you put your mask down and you lay there and then you just you drop in it feels like dropping in like like parachuting in it's like you don't open your chute; you just keep dropping and then you get to this place and then you fall into this like cosmic roller coaster and you see these different like every journey is different but for me it was not a lot of visuals it was more like a lot of feelings and yeah, weird sensation Yeah, it was like, I look at you, I see a face, I see a beard, I see a hat, headphones. Like, there's nothing like that in there. Everything is different. Mm. Nothing makes sense. Like, your brain tries to make sense of everything we see. Like, our multi sensory thing is like touch, taste, sound. Like, all the feels are not there. Like, you have all these weird sounds that come out of you that you can't control. And then the hardest thing to do is be garlic mash, as they say, just lay there and just let it do what it does and you move and you contort and i mean one guy was like just butt naked just dick up laying in the dirt rolling around making dirt angels and like other guys like take off and they have to like you know bring it back in other guys are catatonic and they don't move um some make really weird sounds i was definitely making these weird little like gerbil giggles and then you you know But you respect other people's space and there's so much going on noises and other people doing their thing and i remember i was just like what am i doing here and then finally it felt like i had uh didn't mention it but i kind of lost faith when i was in the country Uh i just it was a gnarly pump and uh i felt like god come back to me and like put his hand on my chest and just be like hey man i got you like Mm -hmm. it allowed me to just let go and i just i just like had a few moments of just like you know, rage that came out and, Mm -hmm. and then I cried and like, I just balled into a ball. And then I just remember like feeling this overwhelming sense of just like love and the music was just me. And I was it. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't physical. Mm -hmm. Like I put my fingers like here they go like through my arm, like you're like contorting and Hmm. it's a gnarly experience, but it's
0: not contortion from pain.
2: There is sometimes pain, but it's like, sometimes pain. Yeah. So I felt some pain come up from, um, Like I saw the kids when I was in there, yeah. And I immediately just—I mean—I purge like crazy. And the weird thing about purging when you're on Aya is just like, like I purge, but I kept like going through the purge bucket. So I was like, am I throwing up back into my mouth? Am I throwing? Am I throwing down? Am I throwing down? (laughs) Like like, up? It's like I—I don't know. But then, but actually, I was—I was just purging in a bowl gently. Yeah. But for me, it was like I felt like I was—I don't know—a
0: different experience. Yeah. It's
2: uh. It's not for everybody but for me um after that like after the rage came out and i purged out and i saw the kids and i walked with them and they forgave me hmm. um all of that missing shit that i hadn't resolved that was still part of like my life mm-hmm. when i came to it was like um yeah i remember i walked out of the, the tent and it was like the dew was coming up like june gloom and um I saw this like illuminated white figure and he was like glowing white, long hair. And I was like, Jesus. <laughs> he's like, he's like, nah, man. And it was like, and he talked to me. and I was like,
0: well, who was it? Um, like a shaman or just somebody no. else that was involved or somebody else that was there.
2: No, I mean, it was actually, it was a seal. Uh, I'm not okay. going to say his name, okay. but he's pretty well known in the, in the community. But I remember him just like, like I like touched him on. He was like, I wasn't it there. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and he was like, that's okay, brother. Just take it with love, man. And yeah. I was like, okay. And I thought I was just tripping balls. I was like, I'm definitely just had a conversation with Jesus. I'm going to just make my way back to my mat and lay down and then come to find out it looked nothing like that in real life. And <laughs> just the, the encounter was cool. And when I got done, I ended up going back to L.A. and staying with a friend of mine. And I was hugging and kissing every homeless person I could find. Huh. Uh, I mean, I was... For over a year, a year and a half, I mean, it was just like I was a kid again. That's uh-huh. so much love and so much just, I mean, nothing could go wrong and everything in my life just started going right. But I'm very, very quick to say it doesn't always go that way. Yeah. So don't, I don't, it's typical Western sociocultural expectation to take this pill, take this and you're yeah, yeah, yeah. do this and you're better. I'm not saying that about tea. I'm not. I'm saying for me, it's exactly what I needed when I needed it, and when I did it, and I fully embraced it. It really helped me. But at the same time, longitudinally, I've been on a journey of like stop drinking, stop taking pills, find meditation, work out religiously, eat really, really good. Like it was, it was a long journey before mm-hmm. I took tea that it all kind of lined up. Mm-hmm. And so my journey is different than yours or mm-hmm. anybody else's.
0: Yeah, I've I've looked a lot a lot of a lot of research on it. I've watched, you know, Dakota Meyer talk about it and different people, Joe, you know, Rogan and different people on podcasts talk about, I've never done it, but I feel like a lot of people say it works for, you know, trauma, whether it's combat trauma or otherwise Mm. they go there, there's something. Now, can you speak to like what's happening, um, neurologically in the brain with this stuff?
2: Yeah, so it's essentially, uh, think about it like um, our neuropathways are things that we have with adolescent predisposition, with traumatic experiences for activating events. Like an old wagon trail, Mm -hmm. old wood wheels, well, they make ruts, right? These ruts get deeper and deeper over time. Those are our neuropathways. So whenever we have these things and we try to get out of them and form new habits, well, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what happens when something happens and you're like, oh, I have to go back to this, and it's really easy to fall back into old patterns? They're Just neuropathways your brain knows. So, what T does essentially is on, <clears throat> it actually rewires, like it just kind of like WD 40 for all your synapses. Yeah, so makes everything
0: lubricated quick to act.
2: Yeah, it just cleans it up. And for I mean, they're doing a lot of studies, there's a lot of um, a lot of studies that I was looking at like previously in the years, uh, of the clinical research side of things and how they're seeing that it's actually causing neurogenesis within the brain so it is healing all of these these old wounds but Mm -hmm. the uh the fact of the matter is like anything else man um you don't use it you lose it type thing so you can go do tea but if you don't do the work it Mm -hmm. follows up Mm -hmm. like i i feel like therapy consistently Mm -hmm. uh consistent like routines behaviors diet exercise mindfulness meditation and family life if you don't if they don't synchronize then you can just keep going back and doing tea or mm-hmm. doing these plant ceremonies mm-hmm. and expecting to get better for a little bit of time and then you crash back down
0: just like any other band-aid pretty much yeah
2: but this is a different it's not necessarily a band-aid it's a it's a rewiring but sometimes that was my question when i first went i was like is this something i'm going to be addicted to because mm-hmm. i don't want to take something that i have to go back in do it again right. every like three months like, right that's bullshit i don't want that um but it can be life-changing yeah, you know, yeah. if you follow up yeah. kind of like steroids if you don't do a pre and post cycle thing you're not going to get the results and it's going to mess your body up and yeah nothing and done. you're going to
0: take losses from your gains yeah yeah it's yeah, kind of yeah. the same thing yeah so it's like so professionally now that's what you're trying to do is it, i mean that's the way i understand it right yeah you're trying to open up your own clinic to get clinical research on these things and then or you're oh, like talk to that i'm, I'm, I'm kind of ignorant
2: no it's fine um so i initially i got accepted into a medical program out in uh, arizona and i was doing med school and mm-hmm. then i was going to be a naturopathic doctor um or actually a medical doctor with a concentration in naturopathic medicine and behavioral neuroscience so i wanted to understand how does plant medicine neurologically affect us and yep. physi- physiologically help us and um actually had a journey not too terribly long ago like when we talked last when we were down at pinehurst area mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so i was following the medical school route and i was doing good 4.0 gpa like all the honors i was doing great but i realized that you know when i was really angry when i got out of the core i was mad not necessarily because i got hurt i was mad because i didn't become a team guy mm-hmm. and then going through all this arduous process of be, you know becoming a doctor I realized i was like do i actually want to be a medical doctor or am i doing this for external validation because i didn't get into the teams and then you know one of my team guys actually explained it well to me saying you know oftentimes we do what we expect other people expect from us Mm -hmm. you're not doing what you actually love and what you're called to do so I went on a, a pretty profound important, journey, right? Important It's kind of like the calming the ego. Mm-hmm. The ego's insane, man. Sometimes it just makes us do things that are just like, "What the fuck am I doing?" You wake up ten years later and you're like, "What have I done in my life?" Mm. So I guess it's the all-knowing and trying to learn from wisdom. And so I did this really gnarly journey. Um, I don't know, a few months back. And Is this another
0: tea journey, or
2: no? This was a. Uh, this was actually just like. Supposed to be a chill day. Take some LSD. Just it sounds it's but that's I was working with one of like my best friend. Um he uh he's the one that's helped me through all of this. He uh he recommended it, it was like, Hey, let's just I had a really bad ayahuasca journey like, I don't know, a year ago. It was fucking brutal. And so I was kinda just like, I don't know if I need to do medicine, but it was supposed to test me. So this guy my best friend Chris Allen I call him the spirit fox so shout out to the spirit fox love that guy um he's the one that's helping me kind of understand and like slowly integrate so I was doing like a half a tab man nothing crazy just like I I, I
0: have zero knowledge on what I, the it, measurements or it's just, what it is it's very small just put it on the tongue what it does to you what's
2: well, the stimulant it yeah. helps you just like enjoy like last time I did it you know when I was in Mexico we we're like you know building sandcastles having a great time being kids <sighs> but you can function Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't know I could be one on now and you wouldn't know the difference Mm -hmm. just sensations are heightened Mm -hmm. so I took like you know a double dose and I was like all right I'm feeling good but I felt compelled to just go back and I ended up eating a mushroom cap the size of a
0: golf ball oh my yeah it was a
2: horrible life choice but a really good life choice because all of my training leading up had prepared me for that and like the walls are melting and I'm like calling in a friend like phone (laughs) a friend I'm like fox i'm dying man how do i get out of this he's like you're not dying man you can't die you can't die from this he's like i need you to breathe i was like i'm fucking breathing he's like no you're talking you're not breathing so i'm like (laughs) okay so i was doing some like diaphragmatic breath work i'm breathing and he's like look man my brother the only way to do this is through this you can't get out of it you can't walk this off your ego is getting in the way you need to calm down breathe and just let go and I was like okay so like I'm on the phone because I had to do like hey Siri call Fox (laughs) because I couldn't type everything's just like I'm like laying on the floor I'm like oh god oh god and have this music going and then finally like I had the journey of my life what's that mean uh the journey is like the great knowing it was a teaching uh a teaching moment for me um all the people in our lives are teachers whether they're good whether they're bad it's all about perception Mm -hmm. right so this moment, I chose to relinquish my ego, relinquish my control, and the journey process itself is like what I went through. I saw some of the most gnarly visuals and the most real knowings I've ever known. And it was kind of like um, Native American in theme. I ended up seeing like my future wife, and I saw my bear cub, Jackson. And I saw me like I found my power. And then I found that I was doing everything against what the universe wants me to do, what God wants me to do. And I was like, "Holy shit, man! Like, I don't want to be a medical doctor anymore. I really don't. Like, fuck. Okay, what do I, what do I want to do? And it's like, mm-hmm. it all seems impulsive to some, looking out, looking in, but leaving the medical program relieved so much anxiety and stress from my life. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I was like, I don't want to be in clinicals and residency for the next you know next five years of my life. I need to be on the ground with guys right now, interacting with them. So." that's where the idea came from. There's Mm -hmm. a a PhD program out of, uh, San Francisco that focuses on like human consciousness, behavioral neuroscience. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. for me, I'm like, Hey, I can do this. It's all like, uh, what's that called? Virtual. Yeah. 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 It's all virtual. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it allows me to work with Chris, with his business, you know, trying to help him out. Um, and then also like, I've had this idea. I'm not going to talk too much on it just because, you don't talk about things before they're actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. but my idea has been long in the making and it's pretty much incorporating everything that I went through in my journey and bringing it into one location. Mm-hmm. So, you know, guys get sent all over the country and the world for individual treatments, but they don't treat the mass problem. They don't mm. send things to the
0: core, to the root. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Let's find the root cause. And I'm not saying let's just dive guys into plant medicine. Let's get them right first. So, Let's start by getting them clean, you know, sober for starters. Let's titrate them off medications that they can. Some guys have to be on physiological mm-hmm, mm-hmm, medications, mm-hmm. cardiovascular, or, you know, seizures, things yeah. of that nature. Some of these medications they, they counteract and they may not be, you know, applicable to guys. They can't do medicine during, sure. but we'll have, you know, full medical staff on site. But the biggest thing is like get them a quality of life again mm-hmm. to start and prepare them. And then if it, if they fit the, the mold, Get them plant medicine, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: um, then obviously like follow ups, therapy, get the family involved. I mean, this is not something that should be like guys that go on retreats for a couple of weeks. Sure, they're good for about a week after. Yeah, but oftentimes in rehab, you come back from rehab. That's why you have so many relapses. They go back to the same. Yeah, they place. don't change the
0: lifestyle. No,
2: so it's like lifestyle changes, all of that.
0: Yeah, I man that's amazing so um, is there clinical research is there clinical studies done on ayahuasca yep. and psilocybin that have good positive correlations for PTS uh, D absolutely yeah I want to get some of that from you absolutely yeah, yeah yeah.
2: there's a lot of a lot of longitudinal data a lot of knowledge out there and then in uh, um, a lot of plant circles but the soft community that's why like that's predominantly like who I interact with and I work with they're like my coach is, is, a, is a team guy and um, and it's just um, we're kind of staying under the radar mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. bit until we have because you know anything I mean FDA approval is longitudinal ten years of data before you can get any kind of like drug or anything approved I mean it's we're we're making sure that we have all of our how ducks old now. is this medicine <laughs> thousands
0: right so how long <laughs> has it been used as medicine
2: oh well
0: like a long time though yeah. I'm not saying by us, I'm saying by humans, oh, yeah, like by the humans, human us. Thousands. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess like what um, Chief Eric Coakley, SEAL Team 6 told me, he's like, what man doesn't understand, they either laugh at or destroy him. And I think Western medicine is broken. Mm. And that's why.
0: Well, Western medicine's a racket. Start man. there. You know, there's a reason that it that they spend as much money as they spend every year lobbying against. THC psilocybin all the things that will bankrupt a trillion dollar industry
2: that's exactly my my point why I got away from from medical um and went naturopathic because I experienced it I never had any predispositions to psychological anything I mean my family like I, I asked like we don't have any mental illness in my family right and I'm fetishizing about putting a bullet in my head seven days a week when I'm sober I'm taking care of myself I'm working out every day what's the catalyst here huh I'm on psychotropic medication sure I'm not counting myself and saying that I speak for the entire population the veteran population but unresolved traumatic issues psychotropic medications it's it's a cocktail for disaster because let's think about what is selective serotonin or selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor let's just really break it down reuptake inhibitor so your synaptic cleft we, we process neurotransmitters mm-hmm. through our brain mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so if you put a neurotransmitter and a reuptake process when through the synaptic cleft the neurotransmitters come through and they recycle and come back through and that's how the process works of all of our sips and ASSIs and our neuropathways like reuptake inhibitor what does inhibit mean mm-hmm. stop mm-hmm. so what's gonna happen when you put a beaver dam of serotonin in your brain and you have an activating event causing trauma and a trauma response from uh let's say a flashback or an explosion or something sets you off and you have all this backed up serotonin in your brain it floods your system what else are you going to do besides put a bullet in your brain Mm. you know it happened to me like i was really close and god willing i didn't but for me it's just um there's definitely there's definitely an alternative way nobody nobody has it all together nobody knows the
1: answers
0: and i think a lot of times people aren't thinking about what the combinations upon combinations of Pharmaceutical medicine, SSRIs, all the gambit is doing to the rest of your body. Mm. And I, I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor. I don't know, but I know it's not good. I know it's yeah. not normal for your liver and probably not your kidneys and to have all these. I and mean, you talk to guys coming out 15, 20 pills a day, they're taking yeah. this to counteract that. That comes from this, that comes from that. That's a bad side effect of this. He wrapped eight pills up in that and then you give him some boosters to get his, you know his mood up so you, you know you give him that man being to sleep and adderall to wake up and then ssris that's not it's not as it's not the way yeah it's not the way for me it wasn't the way for me either i mean i got out on a lot um but it's not the way I mean, there's be- medicine that you should take i'm not saying all medicine's bad you yeah. know what i mean like if you have issues that require medication such as seizures or other things then like mm-hmm. yeah you probably got to take some medicine yeah. Right and stay normal, but if you don't, and it's that you're taking 13 15 pills a day because you're struggling mentally from something from the past, yeah, I just don't agree with it. I don't I agree with
2: the, the psychotropics is what I don't agree with. So, like the basic medicines, yes, but if the psychotropic medications were not, if we weren't just actual guinea pigs, the thing with pharmaceuticals is, let's say I'm prescribed by Doctor A Wellbutrin one hundred and fifty milligrams a day, slight stimulant, and you know it just it helps you with mental stability sure right? if this works so great then why are they putting you you have the exact same diagnoses why are they putting you on rick salty mm-hmm. like why not use a universal thing if it, if it's so good mm-hmm. so you go to a different doctor and you get a different medication everywhere you go and there's yep. so, there's generic there's there's different different variations of the same medication okay sure. the thing i understand is like the multi-billion dollar industry which is big pharma it's all in cohousive Western medicine. I have a lot of my friends that were that were MDs that are redacting their licensure to you because know, it's so expensive to maintain licensure, uh, malpractice insurance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's expensive to be a doctor, man. That's why it costs so much to go to one. Mm-hmm. But they're like, dude, the system is fucking broke, man. Like it's that's why i think what i'm working with now with these guys with teams and like trying to compile data is there's so many ways that big pharma and western medicine will shut you the fuck down mm-hmm. and that's why things have to be kind of under the radar that's why yeah. i don't say you know, names or places
0: uh, yeah i understand about i understand that completely and i think it would absolutely come right after you if they felt like they were threatened to lose a bottom line you know what mm-hmm. i mean? Um, so what's the plan though the plan is to conduct the clinical research build the data and then and then what propose make a proposal to the united states give or take i mean the fda i mean what's the process for something like that or do you just stay down there and say i'll bring them to me and yeah send them back
2: well the plan is to you know i can't really go in depth about the plan but uh if anybody has any questions they can read out to me like individually but Mm -hmm. for me it's um Give guys safe harbor, to, and a safe place to come and just really try on something that you know. I we're looking for guys that have extinguished all efforts. I don't want somebody who's deep into their deep into their shit. They're actively drinking. They're doing drugs. Mm-hmm. They're not wanting to change or gave up on therapy. Like, oh, I'm gonna just last ditch effort. I'm gonna do ayahuasca. It's gonna change my life. That's not how it works, man. Yeah, like yeah. we do. Sometimes we do radical intervention process, but for most most guys, it's like I've tried. I've tried drugs. I've tried stopping drinking I've tried this and like I just I mean I'm just having my wits in man I'm going to end it and that's that's kind of the sweet spot it's like try everything it doesn't work let's try this and that's generally where a lot of transformation occurs mm-hmm. so where I'm operating not really relevant yeah um, yeah, yeah who I operate with not really relevant but when I do unveil the thing that I have been working on for years like I think it's going to be Transformative. It's a multifaceted approach towards getting guys ready, you know, ready to make the actual transition. And then, I mean, the goal would be to get guys when they're in steps and taps, or yeah, you know, I mean, when they're really or like not making going to see the wizard such taboo when you're in the core. Right. I mean, you know, you don't see the damn psychiatrist, mm-hmm. but mental awareness needs to be more addressed in the mm-hmm. military. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, for me, it's just. If i can just help one guy you know alleviate all the shit that i went through that's all that really matters man yeah and i want to make a year-long type process i mean you go to rehab what is it how I much mean, it's, it's 60 to 80 grand to send somebody through rehab right
0: yeah for like four months maybe five six months
2: and they're doing feridian therapeutic style which is like don't get me wrong sigmund freud like mad respect but sitting there talking about your feelings doesn't necessarily work like the bilateral stimulation like you and I can sit here and talk just fine, but I bet you if we're walking, probably mm. get a lot more because it makes you feel like you want to talk and open up more. Sure. Um, I don't want to do a two-month thing. I want it to be a year-long process. So someone would be like, I'm not going to go somewhere for a fucking year, man. Hell no, I got a life. And they're going to come up with every damn excuse in the world why they can't do that. And my only response to them would be, what is your life and your quality of life and your family's quality of life worth to you? Mm-hmm. Do you want to continue these same negative patterns that have i mean where's it got you now Mm -hmm. a lot of guys are just they're rock bottom so yeah yeah, so i'm gonna make it like a year long you know make a long process of like inpatient send them down there get some plant medicine experience you know and just a lot of follow-ups yeah man
0: yeah Yeah, i think that could be great i think it could be great you know and I, i definitely am not somebody that just wants to rush stuff through um but in this situation, I think we're talking about some very old medicine that has very good um, results seemingly with people with trauma, especially with, with you know, uh, military members, mm. you know, a bunch of them. And it's not just Marines, it's Marines, it's SEALs, it's SF, you know, it's these guys that are going down doing real hits, real hard engagements, and it seems to work for them. Mm. And I'm just I've, the older I get, the more I'm like, like, who are you to tell me what works for me and what's better for me? Right. Like you tell me something's illegal and you can't even tell me why it's illegal, who made it illegal, when they made it illegal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can research that and you can find it, but it's not common knowledge, but it is a multi-billion-dollar industry, maybe a trillion dollar industry mm-hmm. that's only growing they come out with new stuff every year like like you said if the old stuff worked why we still come up with something every six six days like you know like technology why is there new pills for something all the time you know and then you look at the tv and you're hearing about the pills from 20 years ago that have killed people now there's lawsuits right so there's all this stuff but it's controlled and it's at a racket you know
2: did you take such and such at some stage you may be entitled to compensation
0: right 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 (laughs) and it's like you you hear that a lot (laughs) right so so um well, dude i think we've been going at it for a while here um i definitely want to get information and studies for you when i want to publish and i'm going to get with you afterwards so i can get um uh, you know handles and stuff to tag you in to, to get this stuff out to your uh, your crowd too that you want to have it but man from the bottom of my heart is you thank you i appreciate you doing this i appreciate you coming down sitting down for a little while in a hot garage and uh hashing it out man that's the
2: best place to be man i love this i mean this is this is awesome garage talks dude garage talks yeah uh, yeah. i appreciate you man i appreciate
0: you man uh big time you know we we kind of connected over bonded over golf and some of this uh you know just just exchanging dialogue with somebody that's you know likewise intelligent with you is sometimes a relief just to do that um and so I like to seek people like you out and have those conversations. You can't find that everywhere all the time. So um, it's been great. I appreciate it. Um, and next, guy, ne- until next time, guys, we'll see you Choices, Not Chances. Thank you.
2: Well, that concludes this episode. Thanks for listening to Choices, Not Chances podcast. Please share, like, and subscribe wherever you listen or watch our podcast. You can also follow us on social media at Choices, Not Chances podcast. Thanks and have a great day.
0: Louisiana Gun Shop, your firearm headquarters. Specializing in concealed carry guns, ammo,
2: and training. You can get your Louisiana permit with us. Also, a large selection of
0: AR-15s, or if you are that build-it-yourself type of guy or gal, we have all the parts to build and customize your own AR-15. Glock, Sig, Taurus, Ruger. We have all the brands, both in the store or at LouisianaGunShop.com. Not too far. You're marking a building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's a good shot.